God, you are good, and we are so grateful for Jesus. Give me Jesus. Thank you, God, for giving me Jesus. Thank you for giving our church, those that believe in the name of Jesus, Jesus. Grateful for this good night, God, to worship you, to talk about challenges in life, God, living by faith, God. And why should we even do that? Why should God, should we be living by faith in the midst of challenges? So God, as we look to your word, look to your truth, I pray that you would bless us, that you would use the truth, convict the hearts of all the believers here that have the Spirit of God present with them. God, that you would shape and mold us into the likeness of Jesus through your truth. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'd like to start off with a joke. It was this little old lady who each morning she'd wake up and she'd walk onto her porch and raise her arms in the air and say, Praise the Lord! Each morning she would do this. Every morning she would do the same routine. After a bit of time, an atheist moved in next door. And over time, that atheist became pretty irritated at the fact that this woman would run out on the porch and say, praise the Lord, every morning. So every morning, he would step out on the porch after she would say, praise the Lord. He would yell right after her, there is no Lord. Time passed with the two of them carrying on this particular way. And then one morning in the middle of the winter, difficult for our little old lady. She was, her face tested with a challenge and the challenge for her was hunger she was hungry and as usual she stepped onto the front porch shouted praise the lord followed by a prayer lord i have no food i am starving please provide for me god the next morning she stepped out onto her porch lo and behold two full bags of groceries are sitting on her porch of course her normal response praise the lord He's provided for me groceries. Well, the atheist was in the bushes hiding. He jumps out and he goes, there is no Lord. I bought those groceries. The little old lady throws her arms back in the air and says, praise the Lord. He provided for me groceries and he made the devil pay for them. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've told that particular story in this thing and every time I think it's funny so it's a it's a good little story as Christians we are called to live by faith just as we see our little old lady living by faith each and every day she praised God each and every day even though things weren't exactly going to plan according to plan God didn't just give us the power to respond by faith at salvation we are empowered to live by faith for the rest of our lives like our little old lady, our faith in God is tested during trying situations. Our faith in God seems can waver, I should say, when those times hit when we lose a job. Things don't go quite as planned. The road is just bumpy or difficult for some particular reason. It's during these challenges that we notice that our faith can waver. It's in those difficult times where we're faced with a challenge that can become difficult. So what's your faith like in a difficult situation, difficult times, trials? Are you holding fast to God or are you slipping? 
the trying times are tough. They're tough to remain faithful in God. So the opposite of living by God is certainly depicted throughout the Bible. And one person in particular is Jonah that I'll use. Jonah certainly did not live by faith when he was tested with maybe the greatest challenge of his life. But the question is, why didn't he live by faith when God's word called him to do something? Why didn't Jonah do what God asked him to do? Why did Jonah go 3,000 miles in the opposite direction when God said, preach repentance to the Ninevites? And Jonah jumped on a ship and went exactly the opposite direction by about 3,000 miles. So would you please turn with me to Jonah. Jonah is in the Minor Prophets, so that means Jonah is left of Matthew by a few books. Um, left of Micah, if you get there, Jonah's right after that. And then if you go to Obadiah, you've gotten too far. If you go to Amos, you've gotten too far. So are you with me? We are looking for Jonah chapter 4. Jonah 4, and I'll read verses 1 to 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. The it here that is being referred to is in the paragraph prior that the people of Nineveh repented. Back to why Jonah went 3,000 miles in the opposite direction. Why would Jonah, a prophet of God, be angry, exceedingly angry, that people repented? And the reason he was so angry that they repented was because the Ninevites were murdering the Israelites. So his great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents, grandparents, cousins, uncles were being slaughtered by these people. And now God comes to him and says, go preach my grace to these people. So you can certainly appreciate his situation. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my own country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah, like us, is called to live by faith by trusting God's word. But Jonah obviously does just the opposite. Jonah says, I don't want to live by faith in your plan, God, because I don't trust the direction that you're taking this thing. Jonah states he's, he has certain expectations of how things should proceed, and God is not following those expectations. Therefore, Jonah's faith wavers because he doesn't trust God while his faith is being tested with this great challenge. So, some modern-day relevance here. I'm trying to raise my children to be God-fearing men. Cassie and I are preaching the gospel to them, but their salvation is up to God. It's not up to me or up to my wife. It's up to God to bring them to faith. I'm trying to live by faith that that will happen. That can be a bit challenging if you're a parent and you want your kids to believe in Jesus. Another example is that I'm trying to help 
with a numerous group of people, large group of people, trying to help our church transition into the future, move into the future. What, what's going to happen for our church? Well, when challenges arise, my faith is being tested. I'm faced with trusting God or trusting myself. I'm trying to live by faith in God because he's worthy of my trust. I emphasize trying because my trust in God throughout challenging situations can waver. I get in trouble when I don't move by faith. And I lose trust that God is going to work all things together in his own way and his own time. When I lose faith in God, I can get frustrated, I can worry, I can get angry, and really, just bottom line, I'm in sin. If I live by faith during the challenges that life casts before me, my trust in God grows and I remain in the sovereign presence of God. I should say that I remain in the presence of the sovereign work of God. When I don't live by faith, I fall into one of the most debilitating places a Christian can find themselves, not trusting God, making myself God. When I hit a challenging situation and my faith fails or wavers, my lack of trust in God is saying, I want to be God because I want it a certain way. I desire it a certain way. I've got to have it within my time frame. And if God doesn't meet those expectations like Jonah, I get frustrated, depressed, stressed, anxious, mad, and the whole myriad of emotions. But what I'm ultimately saying here is the same thing Jonah said. I want what I want, when I want it, and how I want it. And God, you need to then provide it that way. I want to be God because I can't trust you to do it the way I want you to, God. So turn with me now all the way to the left and go to Genesis 3, first book of the Bible. And we're going to read verses 4 and 5 of chapter 3. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God tests the faith of Adam and Eve by saying, don't do something. Don't eat of it. God presents a test of their faith that obviously was an extraordinarily difficult challenge for them. But it's important to recognize in this text, the promise of being God is given by whom? The devil. The devil distorts God to Eve. The devil depicted our God in small g terms to Eve. Now, your translation might use a big G, but in many other translations, a small g is used, effectively putting God, lowering God down drastically from where he is in our system. However, chapter 2 of Genesis states just the opposite. God desires us to pursue a knowledge of good and evil. Our God is not preventing us from his power like the gods of ancient mythology. God has joined us in his power. He is not withholding it from us. 
So the only logical conclusion to why God told Adam and Eve not to eat of it must have been a matter of obedience and timing. Because all things, all things in creation are good, according to Genesis 1. The tree had nothing inherently bad about it. The only logical conclusion is that God lays down a test for Adam and Eve with the conclusion that there is an appropriate time that God has determined for the fruit and its tree. This was a great challenge, obviously, for them. But it's more about obedience to God than God withholding something from them. So, for example, there's nothing wrong with driving, but there's something fundamentally wrong with a five-year-old driving. There's nothing wrong with sex, but there's an appropriate time for it. With our driving illustration, we're not trying to withhold something from our kids, but they must be obedient to the law. They must be obedient to the timing of the law. So there's an age that they must be before they receive their license. With our sex illustration, there is an appropriate time. It's not when you're dating. It's not when you're single. It's when you're married. So in reference to Genesis 3, Augustine, the famous 4th century church father, notes the sin of pride is implicit in this Genesis, Genesis text. He states this as a quote, Within his errors and negative decisions, man glimpses the sources of a deep rebellion which leads him to reject the truth and the good in order to set himself, and it's important to hear this, to set himself up as an absolute principle unto himself. You will be like God. Living life without faith prompts us to trust ourselves. And so one aspect of not living by faith results in not trusting God, which ultimately means, the logical conclusion of that means, that I want to be God. We complain, we get sad, we get angry. We try to conquer the situation with more and more of our own power. Ultimately, we are saying we don't want to live by faith in this, this particular challenge, God, because I can't trust you to fulfill it the way I expect you to do it. You're not handling it the right way. Because if you were, I wouldn't be going through the challenge. Our lack of trusting God will lead us into wanting to be God, which produces a myriad of negative emotions that are ultimately telling God, I don't trust you to handle this situation. Think about this. The fact that your emotional and psychological frustrations don't change the situation prove that you're not in control. We get frustrated, we get angry, we get depressed, we get yada, 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 and the situation doesn't change. We were still remain in the challenge, and it's not changing it, which should indicate to us you're not in control of this. If we were, we wouldn't be complaining. We would just change it. We just change the situation to fit our desires. But clearly, that's not the way things work. God is in control, and he's asking us to live by faith in that control. His sovereign and providential control of the world and all that's in the world, and that includes all of what's in our lives. He's in control of. So, how about a positive example of living by faith? Abraham. Abraham was a patriarch. 
A patriarch is a father of the Hebrew people. Abraham in Genesis is constantly contrasted against the shaky faith of the polytheists. A polytheist is just somebody that worships multiple gods, poly and theist put together. So those worshiping multiple gods show their weak faith contrasted with Abraham's strong faith in God. And the climax of Abraham's faith is found in Genesis 22, where God tests Abraham, asking him to sacrifice his son, his only son whom he loved, Isaac. This test is similar to our little old lady dealing with life's challenges. Clearly, the, the degree by which the challenge is presented for Abraham is maybe higher, maybe not, than running out of food. It's similar to Jonah's challenge of being asked to preach repentance to the murderous Ninevites. This test is similar to that of Adam and Eve's challenge of being obedient to not eat the fruit. Abraham's test is similar to you and I as we deal with challenges that are presented to us day after day after day. We are faced with living by faith in God. Our faith in God is often challenged when the difficulties of life present themselves. And the account of Abraham gives us the story of a believer challenging situation and God is asking him to live by faith through it. So the test of Abraham's faith in the midst of a challenging situation prompts me to ask the question I believe comes directly from the text. Why should we live by faith in the midst of challenges? I stress the should part. Why should we live by faith in the midst of trials? Why should we live by faith in the midst of difficulties? So to answer this question, turn with me, if you're not already there, to Genesis 22. And we will talk about why should we live by faith in the midst of life's challenges. So I'll read the first three verses here in, in Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. This, my friends, is the inerrant, infallible word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. God tests Abraham's faith with a challenge, commanding him to sacrifice Isaac. And that's what you'll find in all the way to verse, I believe, 22. Abraham hears the word of God commanding him to sacrifice Isaac. In Abraham's usual way, he responds to God's word, Here I am. And it's important to note his response. Is it your response? Is it my response? When we hear the word of God, is my response to worship and obedience? And to point this out a bit further, turn with me to the left, just to chapter 12. And I'll point out a few how he dealt with this in the midst of God's promise to him. Chapter 12, verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. By the way, the land is 
owned at that particular point by the Canaanites who want to murder everybody that want the land. So God's saying, I'm going to give you the land and somehow I'm going to take it away from this and Abraham has to have faith in that. He says, I'm going to make your, I'm going to make your seed as abundant as the stars, but his, his wife is 90 years old. So you can imagine the faith that it would take to believe all that. So verses 7 and 8. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there. Again, notice the response by Abraham. So he built the altar, built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country, the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent with, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Look at uh, verse 4 of chapter 13. To the place where he had made an altar at first, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And then look at verse 18 in that same chapter. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. You see, this was, Abram, this was Abraham's natural response when he heard the word of God. Here I am. Abram trusts and worships God even though the evil Canaanites possess the land and Sarah is barren. Abraham moves by faith even though they threaten his life. The Canaanites threaten his life and his, his wife can't have children to make his, his descendants as abundance as the stars. Abraham heeds God's word by faith preparing for his typical response of worship and obedience regardless of how crazy it might sound. God calls to Abraham, take your son, your only son whom you love, and go. God is not referring to Ishmael here, his other son. God is speaking of the one he has elected to be the child of promise, Isaac. God does not test Abraham using Ishmael. God tests Abraham using a significant challenge with the son that Abraham loves. Abraham waited 90 years to have a son, the son Isaac, the promised child of God. The child that Abraham and Sarah named Isaac, or laughter in Hebrew, because of their long wait to bear a child, or maybe ironically because they laughed at God when God said he was going to give them a child, but we'll take the positive view of that. God tests Abraham's faith with the challenge to take his son, his only son, the one whom he loved, and offer him up as a sacrifice. Abraham's three-day journey begins to the land of Moriah, and we see this in verses 3 to 8. And many depict Abraham in these passages as that he got up the next morning after he heard these words from God, jumped out of bed with joy, saddled his donkey, and rode off to, to butcher his son. Well, there are a few commentators and there are many commentators that take that position that, that, that implicit in the text is that he was so filled with joy that he just jumped right out of bed to go do this. But there are a lot of commentators, which I side with, that would take a position that I'm about to share with you. And so I want to give them credit for shining light on something I may not have seen. But Abraham wakes early in the morning for positive reasons, doesn't seem to connect with reality. It doesn't seem to align with reality that he would jump out of bed with joy to go do such a difficult thing. Reality is that when we are, challenging, when we are in challenging situations, we get scared, we get frightened, we get nervous, we get upset, we get anxious. 
And I'm suggesting that Abraham is no different. Look at verse 3 of 22, sorry. Chapter 22. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place for which God had told them. As is so often the case in Old Testament narratives, which Genesis is, much of the explicit emotional detail is left out of our English translations. Much of that is found only in the original language. So I'm thinking, with the test that's challenging his faith, Abraham's anxious, and he possibly could be very scared. Abraham was a human being, just like you and me, certainly called to something very special, but he still was a human being, just like you and I. Abraham could not stand up to Pharaoh or Abimelech, I always butcher his name, Abimelech. He was prone to making mistakes. He sinned when he slept with Hagar. He laughs at God when God promises him a son. He sins when he lies about Sarah being his sister so the Canaanites wouldn't kill him. Like you and me, Abraham was prone to sin. God certainly used him in a mighty way, but he was still prone to sin. Like you and me, he understands God's word and is being asked to follow it by faith. But as we live by faith, we run into challenges that cause us to become, can cause us to become anxious and fearful. I believe this is how Abraham moved throughout this scene. You see, Abraham lived by faith because he believed God was going to raise Isaac from the dead. He believed he sacrificed him and God would immediately raise him from the dead. And that's, we know that from Hebrews 11, 17 and 19. But that doesn't mean that moving by faith is easy, especially when it comes to sacrificing your son. When we live by faith, we know God is going to deliver us some way, but that doesn't mean it's easy. The point here is that walking by faith can shake our trust in God to the core. Notice that Abraham rose early, as I just pointed out in verse 3. He saddled his donkey and he split his wood for the burnt offering. Abraham was a patriarch, father of the Hebrew people, not to mention one of the richest men in the entire ancient Near East. Do we really think that he's going to be saddling his donkey and splitting his wood? Very unlikely. It's unlikely that he would be doing any of these things with his stature and with his wealth. It's more likely that he woke up early for the very reason that you and I wake up early when something big is on the horizon. Fear, stress, anxiety. It could be excitement, to be fair and objective about the text. It could be excitement. I don't think that's the case in this text, but it could be. Anxiety or excitement can cause us not to sleep well. We've probably all had that experience. You hear athletes after the big game. They talk about after the game, of course, they're in the interview. How did you sleep last night? That was always a question, you know, athletes are often asked constantly. They can't sleep very well. They can't get to sleep or they wake up too early because they're so excited about the big game. Well, contrarily, our world is filled with anxiety and fear. To the point that many of us medicate ourselves so that we don't have to deal with the anxiety and the fear so that we can sleep. So we take sleep medications. I realize there are medical issues that people have that need, that need sleep medication, but that's not what we're talking about in this text here. 
According to the New York Times, Americans spend $4.5 billion on sleep medications annually. CNN reports a parallel account that says that cost of insomnia costs our country $63 billion in productivity. The undisputed number one cause of insomnia without, uh, with its difficulty going to sleep or waking up early is excessive stress and anxiety. Abraham wakes early not because he's excited to sacrifice his son, but because I believe he's got excessive anxiety and fear. He has to deal with a test that's challenging his faith for the next three days as he journeys towards the death of his son, his only son, the one whom he loved. And he does it by faith. Even if his faith is hanging by a thread, he does it in his typical obedience and worship to God. Abraham prepares to sacrifice Isaac. Abraham prepares to sacrifice his son, his only son, the one whom he loved. And in preparation for that, look at verse 6. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. The term laid there is the exact same term used in John 19, 17. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross, which is the same term used in our passage, to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Isaac foreshadows the account of Jesus bearing his cross only hundreds of years earlier. Isaac would drag that very altar that he'd be sacrificed on to the place that God had determined. I have not, and I pray that I do not ever be tested in such a way, because I'm pretty confident I would fail. I've been in challenging situations that have tested my faith, some more than others. And over the time of putting this sermon together, I heard a couple of pastors teach on this particular passage, and they referenced or illustrated, I should say, experiences with their dogs as young boys. And it reminded me of a very similar experience that I had with my dog when I was a young boy. My mom brought home one day a puppy Springer Spaniel. And the ears of this dog were so long, I mean, they were as long as his legs, basically, and he would run in our backyard across the grass, and the wind would push the ears back, and his little paws would be going forward, and the, the ears would get under the paws, and then he would just go, Burr. and he would do that all the time when he was walking or ru running, basically, because the wind would push his ears back, and he would trip all the time, and all you could do was laugh. I mean, he was just the cutest little guy, and all I ever wanted was a dog that would jump in the pool. And a Springer Spaniel loves water. My other dogs wouldn't touch the water, and I finally got one. So to my mom's frustration, unfortunately, uh, the dog was in the pool a lot because I was throwing balls in there and all kinds of other things in there, and then the dog hair and the filter and the whole thing. So my mom was pleading with me to keep the dog out of the, out of the pool. I mean, I could throw anything in there, and the dog would jump in there and get it. Rocks, I mean, it didn't matter. He was in there trying to get it. He was a good companion. He was a friend. He was heaven for me as a child. And as usual with most dogs, when you got home for me from getting home from school or something, he was extremely happy to see his master, which, you know, for me, it just kind of fed into my fleshly pride. And, but at the point, it was great. My dog's name was Ralph. At what point, at what point we had three dogs named Sam, Fred, and Ralph. <laughs> we weren't very creative. We weren't a cre very creative bunch. We lived on a large piece of property that was horse property. We didn't have any horses that my grandfather 
uh, willed to my mom. And we used, I used with Ralph, used to go hunting with my BB gun and exploring around the property and all of those things. And we just spent all the time together. And one day I was in the kitchen uh, doing whatever I was doing. And on our property, our dogs could roam free. We didn't cage them or leash them or anything like that because the property was so big, they generally just stayed on our property. And about a quarter of a mile away, there was a road that was kind of the main drag through the area. And unfortunately, Ralph kind of ventured out there and he got too close to the, to the, uh, to the road and got hit. And I was still in the kitchen, started looking for Ralph, trying to figure out who he was, went in the backyard, went in the front yard, went all over the place, and then I end up right about where the front door is, and there's a big patch of grass right by the front door, and I uh, saw Ralph laying there with a gash in his side and licking it, and there were things on the outside that weren't supposed to be on the outside, and it was just a really awful experience to see my best friend at that point hurt and wounded. So we quickly took Ralph to the we took Lee Quick Ralph to the veterinarian to see if he could fix it. And my mom, in her very usual way, uh, would uh, spend some astronomical amount of money to get this dog fixed for me. And uh, Ralph was back after a few weeks of, of mending, back jumping in the pool. Everything was good. Well, approximately a year later, Ralph lost his passion to play. And if you know anything about Springer Spaniels as puppies, I mean, they're just like, they just bounce and bounce. I mean, they're just all over the place. They don't really lose that passion until they get old. And so I said, Mom, I think something's wrong with Ralph. Can we take him to the, to the doctor? So we did. Well, we had discovered uh, once we got to the doctor that Ralph had internal injuries that were now bleeding. And they were, they were irreparable. And so the doctor told my mom, who sadly then had to explain to me, that Ralph had to be put down. Well, I didn't understand what put down meant as a little boy. And my mom then, fortunately, had to explain to me what put down meant. And I remember explicitly screaming, no, 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 just pay whatever it's going to take to fix him. It doesn't matter. I mean, you know, we've got all the money. We don't need, you know, I'm, I had no idea. We have to do anything to help Ralph. And my poor mom had to be the person to tell me, no, no, Ralph has got to be put down because he's going to die if we don't. And it's mean and cruel if to... to to let him live like he is. And this was an excruciating experience for me and certainly for my mom. I could barely look at Ralph at that point forward because I knew his destiny. I, I couldn't look at Ralph knowing that he was going to die. I couldn't sit next to him as he licked my face because I was torn to pieces. So in the time, the gap between the, the diagnosis of the problem and the putting down I got to the point where I recognized he's going to die. And then the next stage in that was that I had to actually deliver Ralph to the slaughter. And the time came. The time came, but I could not do it. I could, when, when we need to deliver Ralph to the veterinarian, I could not be the one to deliver Ralph to the slaughter. And he was my dog. What do you think my response would be if it were my son? Abraham must have been torn to pieces. He wasn't being asked to slaughter a dog. He was being asked to slaughter his son. Look at verses 9 and 10 of chapter 22. 
When they came to the place which God had told them, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Abraham finally reaches the place that God had told him. He built an altar there and bound his son to it. Abraham reaches out his knife to slaughter his son. Abraham must have been weeping. When we live by faith, it sometimes is only by the skin of our teeth that we can hang on to our trust in God. Living by faith in certain challenges will push us all the way up until we think we can't make it. God is pushing Abraham right to that point. With the knife over his head, ready to thrust it into his son, his only son, the son whom he loved, God suddenly stops the test. Abraham's faith, by providing a substitution, he stops the test. Stops testing Abraham's faith by providing a substitution, proving he is worthy of his faith. God at the last moment stops the test. God calls to Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. And God and Abraham in his usual way, his customary way says, here I am. Look at verses 11 and 12. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him because I know that you fear God. God is saying, Abraham, your faith in me is a sign that you trust the sovereign ruler of the universe with your most prized possession, your son, your only son, the one whom you love. Look at verses 13 and 14. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and looked, and went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. God provides the ram instead of Isaac, the one whom Abraham loved. Abraham then states the motto of his life, the Lord will provide. Abraham knew that if he moved by faith, no matter how difficult this challenge was, that he could trust God because God would provide. Hundreds of years later, we find a parallel account. A father and his son are met with a very similar situation. God the Father binds his son, Jesus, the one whom he loved, his only son whom he loved, to an altar. But this time, nobody stops it. God the Father binds his son, Jesus, the one whom he loved, to an altar, waiting for the Father to sacrifice him. The sacrifice of the son, his only son, whom he loved, is complete. The son whom the father loved is dead. There was no stopping this sacrifice. 
There was no last-minute halting of this death. The Son whom the Father loved is the Lamb whom God provided for the burnt offering. The Son whom the Father loved is sacrificed. I can live by faith because God proves over and over and over again that He is worthy of my trust. This is a God who asks us to live by faith because he is worthy of our trust. He tested Abraham, and Abraham knew from the outset that no matter the, how difficult the challenge was going to be, this was a God he could trust. That's why his response was always obedience and worship. He knew he could proceed by faith knowing that God is who he should trust. Not his own will, wasn't his own will that he wanted to trust, Abraham, but the Father's will. Abraham did his best and clearly did better than most to live by faith in God because God is worthy of his trust. Even though it was really scary at times, he lived by faith because God is a God that is worthy of that trust. So why should we live by faith in the midst of challenges? Why should we live by faith in the midst of trials, difficulties, storms, bumps, bruises? The reason we live by faith in the midst of trials, in the midst of challenges, in the midst of difficulties is because God is worthy of our trust. During difficult times, we live by faith because God is worthy of our trust. Living by faith in God is the only option we have if we want true freedom. Contrasting that with, Ab or with Jonah. Jonah was ready to die. I don't want to trust you. In fact, kill me. I would rather not trust you so much that I'd rather die. Versus Abraham who's saying, I'm ready to do whatever you want me to do because you are worthy of my trust. God is not testing Abraham's faith with this challenge to produce evil. He's challenging with a test to produce good, which is exactly what we'll talk about next week. What's the purpose of a trial or a difficulty or a challenge? God is not testing our, fa our faith with all these challenges to produce some kind of evil in our life. We don't live by faith in challenges to become anxious, worried, frightened, angry, etc. We don't live by faith in the challenges to follow Jonah's lead of anxiety, frustration, and anger. We don't live by faith in our challenges so we can have what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. Believers over the generations have lived by faith in God because He is worthy of our trust. Jonah proved he couldn't live by faith in his particular challenge, because he didn't trust God in the midst of that challenge. He made himself out to be God. I want what I want, when I want, and how I want it, God. Now you provide it. If God doesn't submit to my expectations, then Jonah clearly states, I will not live by faith in you. We cannot take this approach. We must live by faith in life's challenges because God has shown over the course of history that He is proven over the course of history that He is worthy of our trust. After the fall, Adam and Eve 
moved by faith in the challenge that her seed would eventually provide the one, Jesus, that would live the perfect obedience needed to fulfill God's righteous requirement of perfection. It was by faith that they lived, no matter how challenging the situation, no matter how unbelievable that sounded to them, excuse me, God was worthy of their faith because he is trustworthy. Similarly, we find Abraham living by faith that God would raise Isaac from the dead. Abraham lives by faith in God, not his own faith. He lives by faith in God, not himself. Abraham can do this because he knows God is worthy of his trust. God proved he's worthy of our trust as he extended his grace to you and I through the perfect obedience of Jesus. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, is the one foreshadowed in this story of Abraham. Abraham has faith in God because no matter how challenging the situation, God is worthy of his trust. God will provide no matter how crazy this thing sounds. No matter how crazy sacrificing my son sounds, no matter how crazy I'm going to now possess this land that's possessed currently by a bunch of murderers, no matter how crazy it is that my wife's going to get pregnant at 90 years old, I am going to live by faith in this God because he's worthy of my trust. If you are in a challenging situation right now, or if you're not, my guess is you will soon be in one. Whether it's a level one problem or a level 10 problem, we are bound to run into problems. You need to remember to live by faith in God because he has proven throughout history, as our story shows us tonight, that he is worthy of your trust. God has proven, proven this again and again, and especially with the death of his son, his only son, the one whom he loved, that if we live by faith, he has proven to you and I that he is worthy of that trust. When you're in a challenging situation, when it comes, if you're not there now, that's testing your faith, please remember that God is worthy of your trust. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for your truth. Thank you for giving us hope. Thank you for giving us hope even while we live in a sinful world. Thank you for bringing us to Jesus. God, we are grateful. We are so grateful, God. Lord, I pray for all my brothers and sisters here tonight that when we go through challenges, the difficulties and the trials of life, God, the next time it hits, if we're not there now, God, that you would empower us to see that you are worthy of our trust, just as Abraham showed us, just as Jonah contrasted how we're not supposed to do that, God. May we heed, heed the truths of these stories. So the next time, God, that we are in the midst of a challenge, we know you will provide your timing and our response is to be obedient, God. And we can respond in obedience by telling ourselves and praying for your strength through the power of the Spirit of God that when the challenge hits, we need to remember that we're going to live by faith, that we should live by faith, God, because you are worthy of our trust.
We love you, God, for that. We love you for that truth. We love you that we can put our hope and our faith in you, God. And I pray as you take us from here, God, that we would remember the words tonight that you are worthy of our trust. In Jesus' name, amen.